Hello, everyone. This is Robert Gowan. You're listening to the uh, Mentors for Military podcast. This evening, I'm joined by Susan Deo, Rudy Lindsay, Scott Kinder, and Mike Pritz. We have a special guest tonight, Larry Broaden, and we're so pleased to have him on our show. He is a um, a CEO, an entrepreneur, a uh, speaker out there to very um, you know entrepreneurships as well as women uh, groups and all kinds of different things on leadership and such. And our show tonight is going to be women in leadership. And uh, Larry has some background in speaking as a keynote speaker to those groups, and we want to bring him on board. Larry, we can't say how much uh, we're pleased to have you on the show this evening. Hey, glad to be here and really glad to join you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. It, it will be, and this is a show that I think uh, what's interesting about it, especially during National Women's Month, is that we women make up 50.8% of the U.S. population and earn over 60% of the undergraduate master's degrees, uh, but they're only 40%, 47% of the U.S. labor force. Um, so when you think about them as far as the college educated, they're 59% of that, and yet they lag behind their male counterparts when it comes to their pre- representation and leadership positions. And, you know, tonight I thought it'd be really great, Larry, if you kind of join us on the podcast and discuss some of those statistics and some of the reasons why you think it might be out there, especially since you've had interface with a lot of business leaders uh, in uh, your works and such. And so uh, what might be helpful, though, before we begin that is really to get into some of your background. Um, I know that uh, you were a uh, former 10th group guy. Uh, so it'll be really cool to kind of hear about uh, why it is that you came into the military and what were some of your interests at that time frame and um, a little bit about your military career. Great. Great. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again. I'm glad we're talking about women in leadership because uh, what I say when I speak to women CEO and entrepreneur groups is I love women. And um, I just think that it's very cool that uh, um, women are kind of stepping into this leadership gap uh, that we've got in this country. And I think that we've got a leadership gap in every segment of society. Um, And uh, it's great that uh, women are kind of stepping into that gap. But, you know, when I was uh, I got out of high school, uh, my twin brother and I and a friend of ours moved out of our, our parents' house while we were still seniors in high school and uh, my twin brother and I were martial artists and uh, we were teaching at a local martial arts school and um, it was in the early 80s back then it was like I think it was 1982 actually my twin brother and I came out to a, a martial arts tournament in California it was a national martial arts tournament we were from rural New York and I'd heard a rumor that the army was going to be putting up a uh, or sponsoring a uh, taekwondo team for the 1984 Olympics and so I thought, well, gosh, that might be my ticket out of this podunk <laughs> town <laughs> that I was living in. And this might give you insight. You know, the other guys that are on the call that are from group will understand this mentality. Um, I wasn't even very good at martial arts, but I thought I could go in and kind of tell the recruiter on why I ought to be on the, uh, the uh, Army Taekwondo team. And um, I mean, I was OK, but I wasn't like Olympic material. My twin brother is is amazing. He's in the Martial Arts Hall of Fame. But uh um, but I went into this uh, E6 recruiter office and tried to convince him, hey, I'm the guy who ought to be on the Army Taekwondo team. And he literally put his hand up in front of me after I kind of ranted on for a few minutes and said, you know, dude, you got to be in the Army to be on the Army Taekwondo team. <laughs> I thought they just sponsored the darn thing, you know. And so they convinced me to take the ASVAB and I scored really well on that. And so they said, hey, you know, we've got this new program where if you score high enough and you've got all these cool credentials, then you could you know, at least try out for special forces. And I thought that sounded pretty cool, even though I had no idea what special forces was at the time, but it had the name special in it. I knew it wasn't special ed. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, let's try it. And so I went out and I tried out and did really well. In fact, graduated near the top of my class and, um, ended up getting assigned to 10th group and got onto a pretty cool group, uh, team. As soon as I got there, I was at 18 Bravo. Um, that's a weapons guy for those who aren't, uh, weren't listening so I was a junior weapons guy that's the smartest guy on the team I should point out for all the listeners the 18 Bravo <laughs> weapons guy smartest guys on the team well said well said <laughs> and so I spent a little bit of time there traveling around and having fun but you know it was the mid 80s at that point and um, I my interest was really peaked I barely graduated high, from high school Robert and um, 
But I'd realized after I got in and scored so high in the ASVAB and did so well in all the schools that I was in that I realized, you know, I'm actually a pretty bright guy. And I got really interested in, in political science and the political process. And, you know, you guys know what it's like. You know, you go to Central America or the Middle East and you see some of these people running these countries and you think, if they can do it, <laughs> I can do it. How hard can it be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I decided that I was going to get out and go to school and uh, try to get into the pol political process, either go to the State Department or run for political office one day. And so I got out and moved to California. And that's where I got my first hotel job. Yeah, so let's elaborate a little bit more on that because it wasn't just your first hotel job, Larry. <laughs> so we're talking about San Francisco. And as I understand right. it, it wasn't in the San Francisco with the beautiful scenery of the uh, the bridge and the whole bit. So explain a little bit about your whole background there. <laughs> All right. Now, listen, <laughs> I was much bigger then. You know, I just, I just got off a team and I was, you know, big and masculine and in shape and um, and so the first, I had a buddy of mine who was working at this little no-tell motel right in downtown San Francisco in the Civic Center. If people are listening that know the Tenderloin, it was at the corner of Eddie and Larkin Street, right in the shadow of the federal building. And that was really the biggest client of this hotel. Like a lot of these people from the federal building would come over and have nooners, you know, and um, it was really kind of nutty. The claim to fame for this property, honestly, was that it had this is back before pay-per-view, right? Um, they had a gay and a straight porn channel there, right? <laughs> In my job, one of my jobs at the night auditor, they had v VHS tapes. I had to keep switching in <laughs> these tapes. <laughs> oh, Lord. But my job was really just to keep the, the, the peace among the drug dealers and the pimps and the prostitutes that were hanging out um, around there. And many of those were my coworkers. Um, and it was just kind of this cast of characters so I'd been there for several months, and then an investment group came in to buy the darn thing, to renovate it. Because, you know, when you buy real estate, what are you looking for, right? You're looking for a great value. You're looking for a great location. And so the, the idea was that they were going to pick this thing up and renovate it and turn it into a rock and roll hotel. And, um, you know, having been in group, I had a healthy level of competence in myself. And um, I just kind of showed up like it mattered. You know, the right. rest of the staff just – they they – I don't know. They were just phoning in their performance, right? And so these are smart guys. You know, they were from you know Stanford grads and well-funded, and so they were looking for you know high achievers and hard chargers. And the funny thing is, what I love now, you know, all these years later, is they recognize, even though I didn't have the experience, I had the motivation and the integrity and the capacity. You know, right? And that's so important in life and leadership, right? And um, you know, if you got the motivation. And integrity, that's great, because motivation without integrity is pretty darn dangerous, right? And so I stuck around for a while and realized I really liked the hotel industry. I loved the finance and the real estate and, you know, the team building and, and all that kind of stuff and the branding and marketing. And so ultimately, I became a partner in this hotel company. And in about a 14-year period, we picked up 14 hotels in Northern California. Oh, wow. And, until I realized that... Um, you know, about ten, at about the ten year mark, I'd realized I was not happy with myself. Um, I, you know, like a lot of guys that are on uh, A teams, you know, they're type A personalities, hard chargers, and um, want to be the top dog. And I realized I was always going to be the number two guy. I'm a, I was, I'm a primary leader, and I was stuck in what I call a secondary leadership position. And so I decided I was going to venture out on my own and do my own thing. And so my wife at the time um, was from Southern California, so we decided to move back down to Orange County, and I launched my own company about 15 years ago. That is such a cool success story, though. I mean, and it really shows that you don't necessarily have to jump out into the dream job, and you probably won't, as a matter of fact, that you've got to actually pay your dues. You'll be recognized. Somebody will recognize the value that you bring to the organization, and that's exactly yeah. what happened with you. You know, the interesting thing, one of the books, so years ago, I started out and got on the speaker circuit because people were just asking me, you haven't all these successes in this arena that, you know, you don't have a, didn't have a whole lot of experience in. What is it that's helped you get there? And I didn't really know at the time until I, start, I started at, people asking me about it and I started writing articles about it. And I realized that it all came back to what I learned, frankly, in Boy Scouts and yeah. in the military. Right. And so I wrote this book called Victory, Seven Entrepreneur Success Strategies for Veterans. 
And one of the things I talk about, so each, you know, the V, v is for, you know, having a vision. I is for Intel. Got it. C is for coaching. T is for teams. O is for ops. Um, and so I realized um, for all these people who are trying to get into entrepreneurship and into leadership positions, part of the Intel is actually doing the work in the industry. And there's nothing wrong with going and getting a job or a part-time job or even an internship in an industry that you have some interest in. Instead of trying to walk out of the military and walk right into your first CEO position or business ownership position. And it never happens that way. Yeah. It never happens that way. And if it does, you wouldn't want it to happen because you've got no experience doing it. You know, it's kind of a, yeah, you could do it for a while, but is it going to create sustainable success in your life? Probably Mm, not. Probably not. Yeah. No, and it's a really good success story because you had a chance to work with uh, people that allowed you to become a partner, allowed you to grow within your own business sense. And from that, of course, it helps you kind of go into the uh, Broughton Advisory and uh, where you're kind of you're the co-founder and CEO of that organization. And uh, maybe you need to share a little bit about that as well, uh, because now you're into the kind of the vision, the the leadership aspect of it. And right. So um, I launched that several years ago because I kept being asked, hey, can you coach me or can you mentor me in my leadership or entrepreneurship endeavors? And so um, we are getting calls from entrepreneurial startups, uh, organizations like Pfizer and Turner Broadcasting. And so I formed this organization to come in and actually now it's I help people kind of incorporate this entrepreneurial mindset into any kind of organization, whether it's just a, a startup or like even the Pentagon went and had a contract with them and with the, the, the office of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Um, because everybody's trying to do more with less. Right. Right. Absolutely. Even the Pentagon, right? Certainly and the so, government. Yeah. And so, that, so that's kind of what I did for a while. I'm sorry? Yeah, resource constrained environment. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. not going to go away. Uh uh-uh. uh. But I'll tell you. When I first went in and did a keynote for, at the office of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, that was the most intimidating <laughs> uh, talk I'd ever given, right? I mean, I was just this lowly NCO, right? And here I am talking to all this brass, right? But I realized they're just like the rest of us. They're just trying to figure it out as, yep. they, as they go. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, so I've brought an advisory. So we, you know, coach, mentor, strategize with uh, – with just about any you know, nonprofits, educational institutions, Fortune 50 companies, whatever, whatever it is. And I, know I realized, that- you know, the funny thing is when we've got problems in business, they're all the same. I don't care how big your business is. And this is great for the leaders that are listening. They're all the same problems. It's just the size, scope and scale. But usually it all comes down to, you know, we got people problems, profit problems, process problems and product problems. Right. But even all of those, when you whittle it down, it's a people problem. You Absolutely. Oftentimes, as Jim Collins says, and good to great, you got the wrong per- person in the wrong seat on the bus. And that's what I loved about the stuff that you learn in, in group, right, is that you've got 12 guys on a team. And if you're not working in your strengths, you're working oh, against yeah. each other. That's right. right? You got a big problem on your hands. By the way, let's stop for a minute because that was a really good book, good to great, by the way. That's a really yeah. good book yeah, for those who haven't had a chance to read and you're looking for something to put on your bookshelf. That's that's a really good book to, to look into. Yeah. They did a great analysis. This other book, um, Built to Last, those ought to be in every business library, leadership library that's out there. Yeah. No doubt. I agree. When I was stationed at headquarters, Marine Corps, all of the staff NCOs were required to read that book because we uh-huh. dealt with – generals, colonels, civilians, SESs, and et cetera. So I agree. Yeah. It was a good book. Oh, good. I'm glad. So if you're listening to this call, pick up those two books. Go to Amazon. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, when we start thinking about women in leadership, you know, especially uh-huh. when we start thinking about those within the military, the women in the military are only about 14.6% per, uh, of the total yeah. uh, population. Right. What do you think are some of the challenges that women have in making that transition? And why do you think that women have such a challenge within leadership roles within the private sector? I have my own opinion on that, but I'm curious yeah. as to what you've seen out there yourself. You know, I think there's a lot of challenges. And part of it is that, um, you know, we just don't have a lot of role models. I mean, let's let's be honest. This right. is relatively new. From the dawn of time, in most societies, it's been a patriarchal society. Right. It's been men who have been in the political roles. It's been men who have been in the business roles. And so, um, frankly, the Industrial Revolution then that started, that at least got women into the workforce. Right. Um, And then World War Two really launched women into uh, uh, significant business roles while men were off fighting the war. At least women felt productive. They're 
contributing to the war effort, you know, working in the ammunition factories, all that kind of thing, and actually earning money. And then when the men came back, they said, hey, I kind of like this. I don't want to go back (laughs) to the home, right? Um, And so I think some of the challenges is, as you say, this is relatively new. You know, it's only, I think 2013 was the first time in this country where women outscored men in IQ tests. You know, not that the women have always been dumber, right? But the education level now has gotten them there. As you were saying, you know, more women than men are earning both undergraduate and postgraduate degrees, right? So I think that there's a lack of role models uh, for women out there. Um, I think that's one of the one of the significant challenges. Um, you know, part of it is self-imposed in in some ways. Yeah. Uh, there's a I know a lot of women. This is, might rub some people the wrong way, but I'm basing my information based on research that I've done. There's a woman that I know named Beate Shalette who wrote a book called The Women's Code, and she talks about how women work against each other, and it's subliminal. But you know, when men are in business, we don't talk about. Do you see what he's wearing, or look at that haircut kind of thing? <laughs> but that does that. I'm yeah. Just, that's not me saying it. This is what I'm get, get, sure. getting from women that are in. Uh, Susan, you can kind of chime in here, but women do kind of, they nitpick at each other and they kind of uh, undermine each other. Another challenge is there's kind of this uncertain career path, you know, for for some women, um, you know, because it's not really laid out um, for them. You got the problem of managing family life. There's this thing of unequal pay. Let's be honest, right? I don't know what the stat is now, but it's almost 70. I don't know. I've heard between 69% and 75%. Yeah. Um, and uh, there just aren't great role models. I go back to the role model thing. So I think those are some of the challenges. There's probably a whole list that goes on beyond that. But the good thing is it doesn't have to be that way. And I do see it changing. Susan, do you agree? I do, very much so. So, you know, like I've said in the past, you know, over and over, 22 years in the Marine Corps has given me a lot of experience with um, just what Larry said. Women do not like each other in the military. It is a huge competition and it isn't to get guys, it's to earn your place amongst the guys. And, um, you know, you typically all of the units that I served in prior to me being a gunnery sergeant, I was typically only the only girl or maybe one of two women in the entire unit. And then it wasn't until I became a staff NCO that I started getting stationed with other women and realizing all of the drama problems that women present in units when the majority are men. So I now belong to the Women Marine Association, which is kind of an oxymoron because we're all women Marines who are trying to come together for the greater good and do community service. Yet when we were on active duty, we all hated each other's guts because we were competing (laughs) against each other. Right. And, um, And then the other point that you made about being self-imposed, there's a lot of things that I find myself still, even in retirement, self-imposing upon myself, whether it's, you know, not being able to have the confidence to go out and and start something new, finding the confidence to start a new job, or even like in this podcast, thinking that I deserve to be here next to the Sergeant Major and the Chief Warrant Officer. but like you said, you know, there's just so many things that women do self-impose on them. And then I, one of the other statistics that Robert talked about earlier that I found really interesting was that women tend to be more, um, they, I guess, experience homelessness more so than men. Oh, gosh, and yeah. I, Four I times lot, more. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is because we're so um, worried about taking care of our children that all of the other things come second whether it's a house, a job, a food, all of those things come second. We have to take care of our children and we kind of become crippled in that because they are our priority. Yeah. You know, another thing, that's great, Susan. I'm glad you shared that stuff. Uh, you know, I think one of the other, well, before I say that, you know, I, what I, one of the things I like about what you said is just that you recognize that some of this is self-imposed. But the truth is, this thing with confidence, everyone struggles with that. It's not just women. But women seem to think, because most of my coaching clients are women, but they think they're the only ones. If only I had the confidence that men had. But I can tell you, there are a lot of men who doubt themselves, const- con- doubt, doubt themselves constantly as well. You know, and I do think that where we are societally right now, historically right now, um, kind of on the continuum, is that if we're being honest, women do have to do more to prove themselves for the same position. It's just a fact of life. It's the same thing if you think back in history about, you know, the Tuskegee Airmen. I know you guys probably know that story, right? 
put these black pilots into a, in a into a um, you know, this pilots. You know, they make them pilots, but they said, we're never going to put you in combat. We're just going to train, 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 train you. We're never going to put you into combat. Until we were getting smoked so badly. Right. They had so much training, they went in and whipped the, whipped the enemy's ass, right? Yeah. yeah. Because they had so much training. And this, it happens over and over again. So I hear this sometimes that women are frustrated. We're underpaid. Um, we have to do more. Well, yeah, it's because you're the vanguard, you know. It happens all the time in history. So take up the mantle. And just accept that this is what it is. Don't complain about it, but change it. If, you, if, if any of us just sit back and complain, nothing's going to change. Is a lot of it, though, the perception out in the private sector, Larry, about how women um, are perceived and how, or how they believe they should be perceived in certain roles or yeah. they try to put them in certain um, groups? I think that's part of it. I think it's part of it, yeah. Um, but, you know... I guess um, views aren't going to change until people start stepping into the gap, and that's risky. That's, that's exactly it's ab- right. It's yeah. absolutely risky to do it. And so we've got to be, we've got to have courage to do this, both men and women. Um, you know, we, we've got to have courage to step into it. But, but, you know, I see this oftentimes, you know, women, if they act like men, because men are, tend to be more aggressive, a little more to the point, now, when women do the same thing, then we call them, a, what do we call it? We, we attach the that's, B word to them, exactly right? That's exactly right. That's exactly um, right. So there is a double standard, yes. I think. If women act like women, then we think that they're too soft. But the truth, you know, the funny thing is, and I, I read an article about this a couple of years ago, that there's a thing called, we all know what the glass ceiling is, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also a thing called the glass cliff. You know, oftentimes women leaders are brought into organizations when, they're, when the, uh, the business is ready to go right off the cliff. They bring women in, right. not Carly. because they want to throw them under the bus, but because the board of directors, the investors recognize that women possess a different skill set than the men who got them there. I would agree with you 100% because I've actually witnessed that same type of thing in a, a, a large corporation. Yeah, Most and so I, I think if women kind of own that, like we have amazing value, then I think, there's more, I think they'd have higher confidence when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, certainly that they don't lack the skill set. I mean, like no. we talked about, that they, um, you know, they even those who are coming and transitioning off the military in past podcasts, we talked about the percentage of those who get educated. Uh, women are more likely to get educated before they separate, are more likely yeah. to get a job than a man. So when you think about those aspects, then it's just overcoming that, maybe that self-confidence that we're talking about, or getting that opportunity, or overcoming the perception. And certainly there's been some that's trying to, uh, uh, you know, blaze the trail, like uh, Carly uh, was one of them and several others. Yeah. I, it wasn't, uh, isn't the CEO of Yahoo or uh, Google uh, one of those that's now uh, female? So, I mean, there's a lot of those that are blazing the trail, yeah. trying to blaze that opportunity for them. But, um, you know, what are some of the questions maybe, Larry, that you get with some of these keynote speaking in, in front of women entrepreneurs um, that that you find kind of intriguing. I mean, maybe you already brought it up about the fact that there is no difference here, that it's just really overcoming your self-confidence. Well, I think that most people that I run into, they recognize that women have the, given the, given the chance, women have as, you know, um, much, they're, they're as likely to succeed in a leadership position than a man. But the question is, all right, so what do we do to get there? How do we develop uh, our leadership style. That's, I think, the question I hear more than anything else, you know, because there aren't the role models, right? I mean, the number one, not the number one, one of the key indicators to success in a leadership position is being part of a mastermind, having role models and mentors, right? So if there are so few women in key leadership positions, who do they look to? Yeah, that's right? a good point. Susan actually talked about that during our coaching and mentoring podcast, that it's hard to find a woman mentor that she can actually relate to yeah yeah and so even though it's hard it doesn't mean that they're not out there okay so you do have to look virtually every industry out there now has women organizations like the professional women organizations of human resources or whatever it is right there are lots of 
leadership organizations and industries. But I would encourage them, encourage women to step into the gap, volunteer for tasks and projects within their organization, because there's nothing that will help you become a better leader than actually leading. And being recognized. And being, but see, that's another thing. I think, I think women oftentimes don't raise their hand and take credit for the hard work that they have done. Yeah. Women, men are pretty easy. They'll do that. They'll say, right. hey, that was my idea, by the way. I helped <laughs> usher that across the finish line. Women oftentimes, they have a hard time speaking up for themselves. And so I encourage them to do, to, to do that. So I call it, you got to be a good self-promoter, right? Um, I think that you need to ask your supervisors, uh, or I'm, gonna, I'm putting air quotes around this, superiors for support. You go to them and say, hey, I really need your support on this. I want to grow more professionally. Um, we touched on it earlier. I think another thing you got to do is you, you got to recognize other women. You have to, that will just start to change the culture. Small little shifts. You know, right. it's like small hinges move big doors, right? And we got, we're all in the military. It only takes one degree on the trajectory and you're going to, you know, change yeah. your, your battle, right? Totally. So, so I think that uh, we need to recognize women. Uh, women have to recognize women who are doing a great job in, in their organization. I totally agree. And, and I think there are certain industries, too, that you're finding that women are taking a primary role. I know um, coming from health insurance and, and pharmacy benefit management um, area, I'm finding that a lot of women are going within, they become pharmacists or they, they pick certain career fields. And so um, there's more chances for them to then grow within those areas for sure. Um, but I think that if they apply themselves, they'd find that there might be a lot more industries out there, especially if they have those role models that are willing to, to stick out that hand and help them along. Yeah, certainly there are some industries that have more women than men. Like I'm in the hospital, one of my businesses, I'm in the hospitality industry and there are, there are a lot of women, you know, we've got probably 700 employees in our organization and 45, I think it's 45% of our executive team are, are women. Uh, that's just the executive, wow. executive committee. But for all managers uh, in the organization, um, it's actually closer. It's over, I think it's 72%. That's great. Uh, uh, are women in, in our organization. So is um, it that, that they're not being recognized then, Larry? Because you just bring up a very interesting point. So if they're actually, the percentages are there, is it that it's just not newsworthy? It's just not being you know, recognized in that sense to where the general public is actually taking aware of what's no, I, occurring? No, I, I think that we're an anomaly. I think there are a lot of women that are, that are in the hotel industry, but we're, we're a unique organization. When I go to these hotel owner conventions or conferences, it is a bunch of gray-haired white men walking around <laughs> with red ties and blue suits, you know? It's nauseating. You know, you've seen more and more women coming into it, but um, uh, I, I, you know. I tell you, it's been a slow evolution. And I think time, you know, we're, we're very yes. soon. You know, I mean, come on, let's face it. We're, we're going to have a, a, a female president of, of, of the country fairly soon. If it's yeah. not, if it's not this, this go around, it'll, it, it's definitely coming. Um, well, I, I think time will help adjust that. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, the, um, I am probably older than many of you guys on on this call, but when I was young, um, I don't think people were saying, hey, there's definitely going to be a woman president in our lifetime. But when you talk to like kids that are my daughter's age, who's 14, and kids that are 18 and young people that are in their 20s, they say, oh, there'll definitely be a woman. In fact, that's why I think Hillary Clinton is not getting all the support among the young folks as uh, – as people that are kind of boomers because boomers think this is our this is our first chance we want to be part of this but the younger folks are saying it's going to happen no problem well i'm the parent of two kids that are in their 20s my daughter just turned 21 and i have always raised her to believe that she could be anything she wanted to be and i think that anyone in my generation who raised kids we all raised our kids to believe that you can be anything you want to be right right and so they've grown up really truly believing that when i was a kid i wasn't told that i could be anything i wanted to be my mom thought i was going to be a secretary and go to community college and then i I broke her heart and enlisted in the marine corps and took off and came back so um but i i think it's very commonplace now for for both men and women to tell their kids, you can be anything you want to be. Right. Yeah. You know, so when you're raised that way, you truly believe that. And I think that's part of the reason why women are becoming younger women, like 
women in their 20s are starting to outreach and, and do things that I would never dream of doing yeah. back when I was 18. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I know what you're saying about you can be anything you want to be, but I would just put the caveat on it. I've gotten very careful about, I, I mean, I tell my kids the same thing. That's the same message. And I tell my, my 12-year-old and 14-year-old, uh, but I always put the caveat on it. You can be anything you want to be if you're willing to bust your hump to get there. If you are tenacious and you're willing to work hard, you can do it. But I'm seeing this kind of, uh, there's almost a sense of entitlement that's happening yeah. with some of our uh, transitioning vets that's driving me nuts. And it's yes. a re negative reflection on all of us. And I think we need to start talking about it a little bit more, partic particularly some of us senior guys. Yeah. Um, because it, um, I can tell you, in the corporate world, they're not saying it publicly, but they're saying it privately. Absolutely. Like, these guys have got an attitude, and they are actually you know, being disruptive to our team. Well, there are so many organizations, private organizations that are out there that do establish that entitlement, sense of entitlement. Oh, we, you know, OEF, I, OE, uh, OIF, uh, you know, people, let's hear this is what we can give you. We can give you this. We can give you that. And so I think we do kind of end up setting that kind of arrangement up. Um, yeah. yeah. We don't mean to, but I think it ends up happening that way. Well, I'm seeing, I mean, I frankly, with all the speaking that I do, I spend more time with women veteran entrepreneurs than I do male uh, veteran entrepreneurs. And I'm not seeing it as much with, with the women. Um, I am seeing it more with the, 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 the men veterans that are great observations that are transitioning. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that the women, and this is, I think this is a good thing, they know they're going to have to work for it. They know that they have, that they are going to have to defy the odds. And they're used and to doing ways, that. What's that? Then they're used to doing that. You yeah. know? I was just going to say the same thing. You're used to doing it when you spend a career in the military and yeah. you're always told you're a second-class citizen because you can't be a certain MOS. Yeah. Then you do. You're constantly fighting for that same reputation. Yeah, and I know that I'm going to get kind of a punch in the throat from one of you guys, but, I mean, <laughs> it's because of that. that, that Shock. I, would... <laughs> I had to throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, – I think that we're going to see some of these transitioning women do a better job um, or I achieve would, success uh, faster than some of the men. I think it's a matter of time. Yeah. Well, I'm currently in the manufacturing world, which is difficult in and of itself just because of money nowadays. And we, we work on government contracts and we have very few women who are in my company. Um, the few that we do have are mechanical engineers, and we all know that there are not a lot of women who go into the mechanical right. engineering field. But um, it's in, I'm a buyer, so I basically buy parts. And we are always looking to buy parts from companies who are owned by women veterans, and they are so hard to find. Yeah. And, and it, it, we're required by government contract to buy a certain percentage of parts from the different categories, you know, disabled veterans, small business, and so on and so forth. And I'm always struggling to find companies that are owned by women. So I hope that that change changes. Yeah. yeah you know, the, the interesting thing is um, uh, the, the stats change obviously over, over time, but vets start businesses at a rate of four times greater than the general population, generally speaking, since World War II. And that's dropped a little bit recently. Um, but when you look at organizations like FedEx, GoDaddy, Little Caesars Pizza, Nike, Mailboxes, et cetera, AOL, all started by veterans, right? Men, <laughs> veterans, by oh, the way. Yeah. And um, having been involved for the last almost six years with various um, female veteran uh, entrepreneur groups, I'm seeing national brands founded or being formed by women right now. I'm very excited about that. I, I, I feel like we're... We're all, we're all going to see this in our lifetime. We're going to see more and more national brands. You know, like Spanx, for instance. I mean, Susan, um, uh, Sarah Blakely. I mean, how many billion dollars a year are they doing freaking nowadays? I mean, it's it's great. It's awesome. If only we can get more women, I think, into political roles. Um, yes. Um, I, I think that we'd see a, a sea shift. Uh, uh, Title change, I guess, might be a better, better, better way to do it. But it is a cutthroat business, as you guys know. Yeah. Um, and you have to sell out. Um, I may, maybe I'm wrong, but I've gotten a little bit jaded on politics. Um, <laughs> and um, but I'm I'm I think that we are about to see some really exciting things with women in leadership positions in this country. I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, I think again, you pointed that out in the very uh, beginning. 
I think that you know women are beginning to break the divide within the the private sector. They have been for some period of time. As I mentioned, within certain industries, they're already taking over, or at least I wouldn't say taking over, d- uh, dominating those industries. And quite yeah. honestly, working within that um, that space. I, I can tell you that I never noticed. It's not like all of a sudden you see a change. There's no change that occurs. It, I think it goes down to perception versus reality. And people yeah. build so much on the perception that it becomes a reality. And, um, you know, the reality is there is no change. Leaders are yeah. leaders. Good leaders are good leaders. Doesn't matter yeah. sex, demographic, whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I generally agree with you uh, on that, but there are hurdles, unfortunately, that women have to. The, yeah. the truth is, women uh, do have hurdles that men don't have to. But what I'm blown away is that I, I believe, and I've traveled to not as much as some of you guys, but I think 42 different countries, and I do still believe we, with all of our warts, we are the best damn country out there. So why is it then that Germany? Great Britain have both had women leaders. Even crying out loud, Pakistan with Benazir yeah. Bhutto, right, yeah. um, have had women as their prime ministers, and we haven't yet. Right. You know. Um, yeah. It's slim pickings. I think part of it is that when there are a few women who put themselves out there and put themselves in a leadership role, whether it be political or not, and then they fail other women are like, mm, yeah, I'm not going to put myself out there because well, I don't want to be, you know, other women are not going to put themselves out there because they don't want to be perceived as being as bad as the person who just put themselves out there and failed. Right. I think it's a mindset, it's because though. women Fail- are very judgmental. I'm sorry, Jack. Failure is healthy, you know. And Yes, it, know. it is. But if we had that same attitude about the civil rights movement, you know, women wouldn't have suffrage. They wouldn't be voting. Uh, we wouldn't have, you know, quasi equality among the races uh in in this country sure we we got to get out there we've got to take our licks now I'm, i say we i mean i'm talking women yeah by, by the way women i say this all the time i'm on your side when you take over you know don't relegate me to the salt mines like the rest of these guys <laughs> that are on this call okay <laughs> come on Larry. no but you know somebody has to blaze a trail and whenever you blaze yes. a trail it really means that you're going into an area that's been um, unchartered, and um, you have to be willing to take the pains and, and stuff that go along with that. And people that are behind you have to understand that the trail may not be wide as you would like it. Yeah. So you may face many of the same challenges the person that blazed the trail in front of you. Right. Right. And, yeah. We've talked entitlement a bit, and that male yeah. veterans seem to have a more entitled belief in their abilities and in their futures and, than women veterans do. How much do you think the image projection plays in the post-military careers of, of women versus men? And, and I ask because we've talked about you know networking, the ability to translate your military into civilian skill sets, et cetera, et cetera. But how much do you think from a, the private sector there's an image projection problem of you know oh she was in the military so she's got to be you know like you said that negative connotation about her and her belief systems and whatever. I. This is totally anecdotal. All right, and this is from talking to folks that I know. I haven't seen like studies done on this, but it would be an interesting one for the folks at IVM app, I suppose, to do. But I guess I would say that um, I don't think it's as bad with women as it is uh, for men. I mean, you know, what a lot of employers are concerned about is: is he going to go postal? You know, is he does he have post-traumatic stress? You know, that kind of thing. And the sad part, in in a way, with with women is that there's not that same assumption. I think for women. I was flying for, back to uh, Syracuse uh, just a couple of days ago, and from the flight from Chicago into Syracuse, I was sitting next to a woman vet. She had a service dog, um, a Marine, um, Marine veteran, and she was saying that she just had gotten back from, I don't know, some kind of um, adaptive sports conference, and she was standing there with six other guys, and they were all wearing this adaptive sport uniform, and some quote-unquote civilians came up and started you know, hey, are you guys veterans? Thanks for your service. And they shook all the men's hands and assumed that she was the spouse oh. and not one of the vets, oh, right? Wow. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. It was heartbreaking for her. I mean, she got teary, right? She spent, I forget, eight or nine years in, in the Marine Corps and, you know, broke her back. And I mean, just nutty stuff, right? And so the perception really works against them uh, in, in all kinds of ways, I guess. Um, so 
I'm sorry, Scott. I got totally off track. What, what, did, what the heck did you ask me? <laughs> you know, we've we've had we've had many discussions on the show about you know um, a simple example would be resume bullets, you know, in oh, yeah. civilian yeah. terminology versus military terminology, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, so I guess my question, and, and I've been pondering it the last couple of days, is. I believe that there is a civilian perception, especially in the U.S., and I live in Australia, in Australia as well, that if you're a veteran or especially if you're a combat veteran, you know, air quotes, that you're going to have some, you know, knuckle-dragging tendencies or you're going to yeah. be damaged, post-traumatic stress, whatever, whatever, right? So, so yeah. if, if I know that that impacts men and women are 10% of that male population or 1% or whatever that percentage is, I think that that's got to hit them even exponentially yeah. more than it does their male counterparts. So I, I guess I was wondering if in the civilian sector you would have seen that through your travels with yeah. how they overcome those image projection type issues. Yeah, um, I, I, I guess I can't really expand on it more than I, than I just did. I, again, it's totally anecdotal, but I don't think that women are – what I've heard – they're, they're not painted with the same brush as being concerned that they're going to have post-traumatic stress or they're going to be the knuckle-dragging uh, part. Um, I think that you can work that to your advantage, I think, for women like you know Susan has done, is you can say, hey, I've worked in male-dominated societies. I have, you know, I can be adaptable. Um, I've learned how to negotiate and navigate my way through a, a male-dominated society. I don't think you should hide from it. Um, but do you think, think that actually, that would, and I guess this is a question for both you and Susan, the, would that, I doubt it would intimidate you with your background, but in your civilian, non-military background counterparts, would that impact them in a, in a negative way, thinking that perhaps she was better qualified? And, and Susan, you had to have run into this as far as the fear factor of your background and being a Marine and how that impacts your civilian male counterparts. You know, it's funny because I... You know, like I said, I work in a manufacturing environment where most of the, the people that I work with closely day to day are engineers um, and no offense to any engineers out there, but they're they're a little different. So um, I've worked with guys, I, I've worked in this job for nine years and I've had guys that I work with for the whole nine years day to day. They've never once asked me about my military career. They've never asked me where I was stationed at. They know I was a Marine. They know I served 22 years. They know I was a master sergeant. That's it. So they They've just never, avoid it. They just avoid it. Um, Is that a bad or a good thing, though? Well, I, I you know, I don't know, but I, I, I guess it, at this point it doesn't really matter. I will say that when I first started there, um, you know, I had been off of active duty less than a year, and I was still, I still walked like a Marine, talked like a Marine, acted like a Marine, right? So it was yeah. very intimidating to them because they had never been around a woman who was so type A. And I have since, in my nine years, really toned it back. I'm, a, I'm yes. much quieter now. I'm much more. I, I actually wear makeup to work, and I curl my hair, and I dress like a girl. And it, it's it's taken some evolution and some training. Yeah. Thank God I had a daughter who could teach me how to wear clothes. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's been learned. But it, it actually has helped me. And I've actually had some of the senior program managers come to me and say, "When I first met you, I was afraid of you, and now you've come full circle, and you're now one of us." Um, but it didn't come without pain, and I, I still knife hand sometimes, and I still let a curse word out sometimes. But um, you know, going back to the other point about my husband has put a Marine Corps sticker, one sticker, on each of our cars, and for the longest time, I would not allow stickers on our cars because I didn't want anyone to know that I was in the Marine Corps. I like Corps. how you and qualify that with only one sticker. Oh. One sticker. So we have. Is it, one is it large? But you didn't tell me how big it Yeah, it, it covers. Small, and she blames it on her husband. Too, yes, I do. Yes, I do. So it's it a It takes up the entire rear windshield, but no, it's only no. one. Nope, it's a little one. You're getting, you're getting some insight, some insider perspective on a woman's world now. Once they, once they take over, you see what's going to happen. But every time that my husband is out in public without me, he gets thanked for his service. My husband's a civilian. He never served in the Marine Corps, never served in the military. And when we're together, he's he's learned over the course of time, he immediately points and says, oh, no, not me, her. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like you said, women, I, I think it works against them in some instances like that because, I, you know, me having long hair, you're just not going to know that I was a Marine. Yeah. And I don't know how we change that. And I don't know that we should. I just wonder, sometimes I think as vets, we just need to lighten up. I can tell you this. I have not, 
I've li- intentionally not hired some vets who have come to apply for my in my organization um, because the way I look at it, there are knuckleheaded vets just like there are knuckleheaded civilians. Yes. Right? Yes. And if a guy walks in or gal walks in who's a veteran and they're like at parade rest and yes sir, no sir and talking in acronyms, I mean, I've got to think about the whole health of the organization. They haven't, they haven't and say, mentally transitioned yet. Yes, that's, exactly that's right. right. Yep. And so I think if I would encourage any, you know, transitioning uh, military personnel right now, lighten up, relax. But that's also you know? a, a warning. That's also a bell curve, right? Because you get oh, the flip oh, side no. of it that they get out and all of a sudden they've got, you know, the ponytail, the beard, the earrings and their yeah, yeah bra. Yeah. yeah, dude. You know, because they just want to let go of all of it. So when you show up for that job interview, right, you got to, you know, again, you oh, said yeah, earlier, yeah. Right? But just know your operational environment. Yeah. Right. Just be professional. You know, that, the thing that helped me when I got out, well, the good thing is I think it's easier for guys, you know, operators, the special forces guys, you know, I think if we transition easier. We're used to standing with our hands in our pockets, right? And first name basis and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Honestly, it, 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 I think it is easier uh, for us. Um, I mean, that's why we get, that's why we're in group, right? We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be able to adapt a lot more, but I think for a lot of folks, it really is difficult. And, um, because to get a promotion in the you know most conventional units, it's yes sir, no sir, three bags full, right? Yes. And so they think that's going to help in the professional world. So you still need to show up like it matters, right? You still have to actually be there on time. All those things about being there on time or actually being early, right? Because being on time is late, right? right? Exactly. All those kind of things are, are going to help you uh, in the civilian world, but. I think that there are some folks who maintain this military bearing to intentionally intimidate people. And they do it out of fear. They do it out of fear. That's exactly right. Fear motivates a lot of this stuff, right? That's my impression. I mean, everything I say today may be completely wrong, by the way. No. (laughs) I think what you just said is exactly right, Larry. I think, you know, and and you tie it to to an SF guy, to a soft operator. I used the word twice, Robert, in two podcasts. I told you I was never going to use that word. But you a special yeah. forces soldier who, who we, we, we claim that we're masters of our environment and we have to understand the operational environment. Yes. And, and, and But we are a minority within the military right. itself, within the Army, within the greater military, even U.S. SOCOM is a very small part of the military as a whole. So to, to understand your operational environment, something that we, we claim we do very well, the rest of the military, well, they don't do it at all. And, and I think that that's something that's lost in, in translation as, as guys are transitioning out of the military and, and women um, is to, to look at the culture of the company they're trying to, to put themselves into mm. and to absorb some of that. And, you know, I, I, I've told this a number of times. Part of my, my transition assistance program is uh, they, they had, a, they had a, a suit salesman come in to tell us how to dress to go to an interview. Well, what's a suit salesman going to tell you to wear? To an interview, he's going to tell you to wear a suit. And what kind of suit? Well, it's about a $600 suit, and I'm going to give you a discount on it. it his and, suit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's his suit, right? But if you're if you're looking at Google, if you're looking at Facebook, if you're looking at Apple, you know, these companies, uh, their culture isn't a suit culture. Right. And, and and there's not a lot of those really left unless you're, you know, a lawyer or something very professional. So right. I, I think you, you've really got to look at the culture of the company yes. and, and understand the operational environment. And like you said, don't come in at parade rest. Man, never do that. But uh, but but an SF guy would do that kind of naturally, yeah. and and maybe he would come in and, and assess his environment and and develop some common ground, yes. uh, which is the basis for relationships. And I think that's something that's lost on a lot of guys transitioning. Well, I, so- I jokingly on your point, Mike. Sorry, Larry. I, I jokingly tell people all the time that. To, to really thrive in, in the military, and this is a simplistic view, right? But if you're in the right place at the right time, in the right uniform, you're going to do reasonably well in, in the big Army or, or the big Marine Corps, right? But yeah. that's not going to help you in corporate America or in corporate Australia because you know, we don't have leaders in many corporations. And Larry said it several times today, you know, we have these these managers, and managers don't really want to lead you. They don't want you to show up and, and be there dressed accordingly. They want you to be, you know, motivated and and doing something and doing the right things without them having to tell you to this. You know, NSF, right? We call them fire and forget people. Just you know, these autonomous guys that can go off and do the right thing. But managers don't know how to deal with somebody that just shows up and says, "I'm here. Task me. Yeah. What do I do?" Yeah. And then there's you know, angst on both sides of the coin. Yeah, yeah. And I think that plagues men uh, and women. Um, you know, the word relationship was was 
just used here. And I think that's one of the keys to success for anyone who's transitioning. And that's why I think that women, when they aren't sniping with, with each other, I think this is why they're going to do a better job uh, stepping into this leadership gap because I think that they are better at consensus building and building relationships. Um, and so for other folks who are listening to this that are transitioning uh, out of the military, I would encourage you to stop. Well, number one, stop seeking success. All right. <laughs> and that's going to freak people out. What I would encourage you to do, seek significance. How do I serve? You know, when you put on the uniform, you went into the service, right? Those vets that I see doing a great thing out there in the world are also, um, they're serving. They're serving their communities. They're serving their families. They're serving their places of worship. They're, they're just serving. Good things happen to those people who continue to serve, right? When you go to a networking event, what, what oftentimes happens is you know you meet somebody they slam a business card in your hand and their their eyes are immediately scanning okay who's the next victim who can I go to next <laughs> yeah, right right but when you build a relationship with somebody you don't need to get 40 business cards and then do nothing with them you only need to connect with one person build a relationship and then move out and do it over again that's what business is all about and frankly that's what leadership is all about a couple of you folks have said this already you know leadership is really the art of building relationships it is exactly and right. I think that by just necessity in history, women veterans would seem much more inclined to do that by default than their male counterparts because they would have had to, you know, fighting for that position in amongst, you know, their their male-dominated world and fighting for that that right to be in different arms that they want to be in and, and fighting for the way future, forward. I think that they, they that's ingrained into them by default. So even though they're that smaller portion of the, the population, especially the veteran population, by default, that's their go-to mechanism, and that's probably why when they do succeed, they succeed quicker and faster than the, the male counterparts. Yeah. You know, in my job, I've never networked well. I've never practiced it, never done it well. And then when I started working with the Young Marine Program about four years ago and had to go out into the, the civilian sector here and beg for money to keep my unit going – that was where I really learned how to network and talk to people and actually yeah. look them in the eye and shake their hand yeah. and, and yeah. explain my unit. So like you said, I'm serving those kids in that unit, and that is where I've learned to network and actually make relationships with people. I didn't do it in my job. I still don't do it in my job, but I certainly do it with those kids and their families and to all of the organizations in Columbus who have given us money to keep us thriving. Yeah, I think that's great. Hey, this has kind of popped into my head a couple of times since we've been talking here over the last five minutes. And so I'm just going to kind of go with my gut and kind of share this, if, if you don't mind. We're talking about networking and transitioning vets and all that kind of stuff. And I think this will help both men and women because, you know, we're oftentimes told not only do you need to uh, network, but you need to have your elevator pitch, right? Don't we hear that? You know, mm -hmm. make sure your elevator pitch is down. That's nauseating, people. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm just going to go counterintuitive. Don't don't do an elevator pitch, please, please, please. Um, so about three years, no, I guess about five years ago, I started asking fellow CEOs, investors, venture capitalists, have you ever invested in a company, invested in a person, or hired somebody from an elevator pitch? And the answer was no, no one. Not one person could I find had ever done that. So why the hell are we teaching that? It's a good know? point. I mean, actually, we talked about that in several podcasts ago. We did. Yeah. So, so here's the Susan thing. So let's, let's, let's hear it, Larry. Well, so let me help you with that then. So one of the things that I do, I mean, I, I live this totally blessed life. Yes, I've crashed and burned. I've scraped a long bottom. I mean, I've burned up a marriage. I mean, I've done some pretty nefarious stuff. You know, I'm an addict. I mean, believe me, I've done all that <laughs> nasty stuff just like everybody else has. But so but now... Um, because I kind of focus on this stuff. I, I'm on MSNBC and CNN, you know, pretty regularly. So I was on MSNBC on a show called Your Business about uh, three weeks ago, and we were talking about this. So what I say is ditch the pitch, ditch the elevator pitch. Instead, do this. I like that, ditch the pitch. And answer the, just use these three statements. When you're going in for an interview, um, if somebody says, hey, Scott, what do you do? You say this, I hate it when, fill in the blank, I love it when, fill in the blank, so I fill in the blank. And then it sounds more authentic, it sounds like you're having a conversation, and it's not the stupid canned elevator pitch that you know you get halfway through it and you skip the words, you have to start over and you start fumbling around. Just say, well, you know, I hate it when this happens, but I really love it when this happens, and so I do that. 
Wouldn't that, I love that sound so much easier to so, have a conversation so, with somebody? Yes, since you're being genuine. Exactly. Right. And genuine and authenticity is so rare yeah. in the business arena nowadays. This you is know, why Trump and Bernie are doing so well, by the way. <laughs> I, I struggled with that elevator pitch when I transitioned from the military. And, and you know, they wanted you to write it out. They wanted it to be a page long. They wanted to last. They wanted multiple pitches, one that could last one minute, one that could last five minutes. Yeah. And, and I, I thought, man, this is this is crazy. I know who I am. And uh, and and Larry, I saw that MSNBC clip with you on it. And I, okay. I, 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 I love it. And, and, and since then. That's something that I can easily relate to. And when anybody asks me, you know, who I am or what I want to do, that's the way I relate it. Um, but but that's that's a great tip. And what I was wanting to ask you is, you know, as you talk to maybe transitioning veterans, uh, male or female, do you offer, I mean, different advice to the two? Do you offer the same advice? That's a great piece of advice you, you, you gave me that's yeah. helped me a lot. Well, the, so some, some of the advice is like that. I think that's, you know— multi or unisex, right? That can help anybody. And then others, of course, I, I kind of tailor it because what I've learned in life and in business is that, you know, there's some people say you got to treat everybody the same. Well, anyone who's been in a leadership position knows you can't treat anybody the same because we're all different, right? You could treat people fairly, but you can't treat people the same. Like I love my kids. You know, I don't love them both the same. I love them differently. Do I love them equally? Yes, but it's different, you know? And so, um, I, no, so I, I don't have this. Everything is tailored, um, and it's got to be the same for everybody. I, I think it just has to be customized for whoever it is. But there are things like ditching the pitch and building relationships. Yeah, I think that works for everybody. That works for everybody. I'm glad you like that tip because, you know, I'm on there probably every six or eight weeks, and I've been doing it for a couple of years, and I got more tweets and emails and comments from that silly little thing than anything else I've ever done <laughs> on there. So ditch the pitch, people. <laughs> it's something easy to remember. It's great, and actually, it, it's still kind of in a way an elevator pitch, but yet you're trying to do it in a different way that doesn't come across like the typical elevator pitch that we've been trained on so for so long yeah, yeah. well i would just encourage don't memorize it R right yeah. it's not you it's know, informal I've got, I've got a handful of different businesses and depending on the environment that i'm in when i'm asked the question then i answer it that way so if i'm in a hotel environment or i'm at a hotel conference i know that if somebody asks me hey what do you do i know really what they're asking me about is you know tell me about your hotel business right you know if i'm in a coaching environment or a veterans environment then i know that they're asking me something else Right. So just don't be robotic. I think that's the problem with a lot of transitioning military people is that they become robotic. And that's that's not attractive to anybody. So so getting back, you know, w women have the opportunity in front of them. I think it's more about, again, gaining that self-confidence, overcoming the perceptions that are there and be willing to be the trailblazer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to be a trailblazer. I, I think that. Women have this innate warrior spirit in them that men sometimes have to create. Let's be honest. Even in the in a male-dominated society, patriarchal society, um, so the guys that are you know special forces soldiers, you know, we've gone out and trained lots of folks, right? And most of the people we train do not have a warrior spirit, and they're men, <laughs> right? True. Let's be honest about this. I know women. I know more women who have this warrior, fighter, never give up, never surrender, tenacious spirit than men because I think that they are the caregivers. They're used to that when they have young, what do they do? They protect. You know, do well, not like cross a season, mama right? bear, you know, or a mother. Don't jeopardize their children. They will fight for you, right? They are absolutely tenacious. I am. I you know. I, I don't think, you know, women good, men bad. You know, I'm not a life, what is it, lifetime TV fanatic, right? <laughs> but I do, I, I, I'm very optimistic about our future as a society that women are stepping into the gap right, right now. Um, because let's be honest, men got us to where we are today. Um, and in some ways that's great, but there are other areas where I think that, you know, um, good is the enemy of great, right? We've, we've heard that, right? I just think that we can be so much more. I'd like to hear from Susan. I mean, I've, I've been kind of monopolizing this, and I'm sorry that. Uh, no, 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 it's very interesting. It's I, I I love listening to you, and I I do think that women need to encourage other women to step into that gap. We need to stop fighting each other. Um, it you know I I did it. I'm guilty of it in the Marine Corps. Always wanting to be that one woman Marine who was the equal to all the male Marines in the unit, and uh, you know 
other women were competition to me. Yeah. I've learned since now being in the civilian world that it's it's not that way. I still do stand out amongst my other women peers in my in my organization because I am type A and I think it's yeah. something that you know, I, I got that in the Marine Corps and I don't think it's going to go away, but I have learned to speak differently, be relaxed, put my hands in my pocket, try to stop using the knife hand, um, learn to speak better English, which, you know, Marines aren't required to speak good English. So, you know, it, it was, uh, it, it's been a learning experience, right? So I went back to college. I used all my GI Bill and, and uh, I got a master's degree. Everybody, that was a Marine that said that before the yeah, email comes in. Yeah, good point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, but I think that one of the things that, that has made me successful up to this point in my civilian career is that I've I like to learn. So I'm always reading books. I'm always trying to listen to people. I'm, you know, trying to always, you know, take advice from people and make sure that I'm self-evaluating and doing the right thing. Um, you know, you'll notice on my Twitter page that I, I, I'm a lifelong student and I truly believe that. And I, I think that we should all be that way, particularly women, because I do believe we have a long ways to go, but we're not going to get there if we keep fighting each other. That, there's so much profound pearls of wisdom uh, in that, Susan. You know, um, so I just reiterate some of the stuff. Like leaders are learners. If you're not le- you're not reading, if you're not listening to podcasts, if you're not doing these types of things, then you are going to hamstring yourself, and it is kind of the kiss of death. Leaders have to surround your. Our, we as leaders have to surround ourselves with people who are bolder and brighter than we are. Right. If we are you're the, the brightest person, person in the room, room we're in the wrong room. That's particularly for me, by, by the way. But, you know, giants that are bigger than me have said this. You know, if you want success, help other people succeed. And so you're so right, Susie, you know, just help each other, whether it's a man or a woman. Help other people have success and, you know, success will find you. The universe has a way of kind of helping us get there when we're just uh, good people. One, one of the, the mantras I say over and over again to some of my coaching clients and the people in my organization is if you want to do great things, you got to be a great person. Right. Yeah. Right? Because how many of us have worked with leaders who have not been great people? I mean, exactly. air quotes Lots. around leaders. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah that, that, yeah. that's exactly what I teach my young Marines. You know, I have kids who can't march to save their life. I have kids who can't stand at attention to save their life. But I talk to them all the time about opening doors for people and being nice and and being nice to everybody all the time, even when no one's looking, you know, we've all heard that. Right. And, and, and so we're always trying to teach them. Don't talk back to your parents. Your mom's going to make you mad for the rest of your life. I tell them all the time. My mom's 72. She makes me mad every week, but you keep your mouth shut because she's your mom. Right. And so it's, it's the basis of being a good person, being a good kid, good things come to those who are good. And that's exactly what I try to teach the young Marines every time we meet. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love this young Marine thing, the more I learn about it. I mean, you're it's creating. An, it, it's an awesome program, and it, it's, it's so much work, and it's so much, it's hard, and it's stressful. But every time I go there and I see those kids, and we actually teach them that, hey, I you know, can do good things outside of drill meetings. I can go to school and be a good person, and my teacher now recognizes me because I'm nice to other students in the class. And you see their eyes bright up, then you realize that, that you are meant to do this, and I swear, you know, I'm going to keep doing this until I can't walk anymore. I absolutely these, love it. Are these young boys and girls, or just boys, boys and girls? And they're ages eight to eighteen. We discharge them after they graduate from high school. Um, we never recruit them to any branch of the service. We tell them that they can do whatever they want to do. We're just trying to teach them: don't do drugs, don't drink, don't swear, exercise. Don't eat junk food and just be nice to everyone you meet. See, that, I think that's what we need. If we want more women in leadership positions, we need to create young girls as leaders, right? Um, yes. We see, we see in the school, like, my again, my kids are in grade school and high school now, and I see more boys raising their hand to, uh, for, you know, trying out for student council and those kind of things um, than I do girls, so. Yeah. Anyway. 
Well, I kind of have monopolized a lot of this, so I'm sorry, guys. I hope that. No, don't be. It's <laughs> no, great no, listening Larry, to you. You're, you're firing on all cylinders, buddy. I mean, that was spot on. Everything you're talking about. So. Yeah, the good thing is Larry gets to come back here in about three weeks, and we get to hit on a different topic. So uh, we oh, get to, we get to pick your brains even more, Larry. Uh, okay. Looking forward to that for sure. Uh, but in kind of talking about just the subject that we've been on, you know, I, I kind of hit on in the beginning of the, the podcast that women make up 50.8% of the U.S. population yeah. and o- earn over 60% of the undergraduate and master's degrees, and they're 47% of the U.S. labor force and 59% of the college-educated, entry-level workforce, and yet they lag their male counterparts. And what we talked about is that in some cases, you've got to be a trailblazer. You've got to go out there and take hold of that innate ability that you already uh, possess. you got to ditch the pitch, which is one of the things that Larry talked about in terms of trying to come up with some crazy way of coming up with an elevator speech and make it more natural as you're communicating with others. And communication is a key point, uh, as we've hit on another podcast, that you've got to be able to drop the acronyms, be able to stop using the uh, the knife hand and the square shoulders and everything else and blend into the environment for which you're, you know, you're going into in the transition. And uh, really embrace uh, the challenges that are there because a lot of the skills and leadership capabilities that you earn while you're in the military do translate to the private sector. Um, I think you'll have a big leg up when you make that transition. Uh, transition. And Larry, I don't know if there's some other closing comments that you'd like to make in regards to women in uh, leadership. Yeah, the only, the only closing comments I would have uh, is this, that those are all accurate stats, but stats, as we all know, are lagging indicators and they don't measure future success. That's the good news in all of this. And if we keep doing what we're talking about here and Susan keeps stepping into the gap in training up uh, young women leaders, then I think our future is bright. And I would just encourage everybody to get outside yourself, go serve somebody, and just go do something significant today. Great Absolutely. advice. So appreciate you, Larry Broughton, for being on the show. For Susan Deo, for Rudy Lindsay, uh, for Scott Kinder and Mike Britz, I'm Robert Gowan, and we appreciate you being in the Mixler chat room. And if you haven't already signed on, be sure to do so at Mixler.com. That's M-I-X-L-R.com. Check out our podcast shows at uh, MentorsForMilitary.com. That's Mentors, F-O-R, Military.com. And uh, listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And appreciate you, uh, you being a part of the show, Larry. And we look forward to seeing you here in a couple weeks. Take care. Thanks a lot, guys.